Welcome. How's it going? It's been a while. In fact, it feels like weeks. Well, it has actually been weeks because the last podcast I recorded um, was actually last week and it was supposed to be this episode. And um, yeah, just um, had some problems um, with, uh, with the computer and also just um, some of the bits and bobs. And so I had to sort of abandon it and, and never got back to doing it. Um, and this episode was titled in the in the logic. It's called the Pad Part Two. Well, it's not actually the Pad Part Two. It's actually a double thing, really. It's um, it well, it is the Pad Part Two, but it's also it's like an anniversary episode that's late. So it's like all of it's completely ruined. So the idea was last week was I was supposed to do this thing about the pad part two and it was supposed to be in sync with the uh, year. Um, my first podcast that I published was 17th of uh, November last year. It's called uh, Down the Rabbit Hole and it's all about that thing of um, really getting into, um, you know, specific things and really going into great detail about... Um, about about them so as opposed to flitting around and listening to lots of different things anyway that's all very boring you can go and listen to that episode I don't really want to go witter on about that anymore than I already have done but um, the second episode I did was called The Pad and um, anyway yeah I, mean, I had lots of really positive uh, feedback about both those episodes and like, quite a lot of the early episodes and they've been quite a lot of people have listened to them now it's, it's interesting when you look back at the history because I can sort of look you know, through the episodes, and uh, I don't really promote this thing at all. And people know my kind of feelings about what it's about. Um, anyway, uh, people that know me and uh, blah blah blah. So, um, but it's interesting those early episodes. You know, they've they've had a few um, they've had a few listens, and um, you know, quite a few people got in touch with me about them and said they've enjoyed them and this that, and the other. And so I was going to do this this kind of episode that was about kind of coming back to the pad and just talking about um, the last three or four months for me with the pad. But it was also, I'd forgotten that it coincides with uh, a year. Now, I'm not really a person that's that sort of cares about these sort of anniversary things or anything. Um, but I thought what I'd do today was just talk a little bit, bit more about how doing this podcast came to be, so to speak. A bit, a little bit around the background as to what was going on in my life at the time. It's just been a little bit easier to talk about now. It's a, a year after, um, but, but yeah. Anyway, so that was supposed to all that was supposed to be last week, and it's supposed to be this kind of oh, one year anniversary thing. Anyway, I missed that. So this is a year anniversary thing of the ep of the second episode, <clears throat> which is completely meaningless, isn't it? It's like uh, you can have an anniversary every single episode of the one you did the year before, which is totally pointless, you know. Um, so yeah, this whole intro has just been uh, just one big long wittering pile of um, pile of cack. Anyway. Um, I'm faced here with this pad. It's called the Sabian Quiet Tone. Oh, you know, anyone that knows me knows I don't play Sabian cymbals and not that really that into them. Sorry, no offence to anybody that really likes Sabian. Never really done it for me. Uh, I had one crash once, a H, 
HX. Um, it was a nice evolution. It was thin. It was really nice symbol. I had that for a long time. I used to play that actually a lot. And then when I got my Istanbul deal um, in whenever it was, can't remember what it was now, quite a while ago, um, I did get rid of all of my... Um, I got rid of all my, all my symbols to partly to fund buying new symbols, but also as a kind of brand loyalty thing. Uh, I'm a bit, you know, a bit naive and a bit stupid, really, in that respect. Especially in retrospect now, as I don't have any affiliation with Istanbul at all anymore, which is a shame, you know, but uh, I still play all the symbols and I love the symbols, but I don't have any relationship with the company. But um, is that thing of, like, when you, when you think back, you go, oh, actually... I mean, I lament often about these these Zildjian vintage A hi hats that I had, which is is that you know this vintage A range they make, which is not they're not old symbols, and it's a new range. You know, it's one of these ranges that came out in the late nineties, I think. I can't remember exactly, but anyway, I had a pair of hi hats um, sourced uh, through a very very good friend of mine, Lee Mullen, um, who um, he basically. Sometimes things would come in when he when he works. I think he still works in Johnny Roadhouse, actually. I think, yeah, he actually does work, still working there. I don't know what I'm talking about. I think about John Andrews, who doesn't work in there anymore. Um, Lee still works in there uh, on a Friday. And um, if anything interesting would come in, Lee would always ring me and say, hey, mate, there's some, there's this kit in there, you know, or these, these symbols. You want to maybe come and have a, come down, you know, have a, have a you'll like them. He always kind of knew, you know, he always knows the things that I like. And, um, and yeah, I ended up buying these these vintage A's, and I had them for years. And and I have to say, they're one of the best pairs of hi hats I've ever ever owned. You know, and I sold them all off. You know, I sold all my Zildjian stuff off, um, and a bit, little bit of Sabian stuff off when I got this Istanbul thing. So to, to fund the symbols, and I bought my Istanbuls, and I've kept them since, and sold a few of those off, and bought some others. <clears throat> but anyway, that was all in reference to this. Um, this practice pad, there is some tenuous connection here to what this whole introduction is about, is that when I did this episode last year about the pad, it was um, it was like a little bit of a homage to my original practice pad that I bought, well, that Max Molin and Irene Molin, my, my first two teachers they were married to each other i had max at first and moved on to moved on to irene who was kind of not retired max was retired um but he bought me this pad you know when i first started studying snare drum and i really wanted to do a little episode about that and just put the memories into digital format you know about about that pad but i'd also i'd just bought this sabian quiet tone thing because I saw it, um, I think I made reference to it on the on the uh, episode. I think I saw somebody on Instagram, and it's got little legs on it, so you can put it on top of a drum very easily. But I have it permanently on um, this little Yamaha snare stand that's in my um, next to my computer, and I've spent a lot of time on this thing. It's been great. I really, really like playing it because it's got a proper rim, so you can do proper. You can practice all your, your rim shots. And then the, and the other pad, the one that I've had since I was 12, is my permanent resident on the kit. So anybody that I'm teaching will 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 see that, regularly see that pad. It makes its way onto... Sometimes it's on the floor, Tom, and uh, it's often on the snare drum, and it comes it goes on and off the snare drum all the time, and I'm always playing on that pad on the, um, on the drum kit. 
which is great. So I've had this kind of thing going on the last couple of months where I've spent a lot of time on both these practice pads and they're very different to play on. The the Sabian Quiet Tone, I will I have to say it's a little bit flattering, I think. Uh, it's kind of it's just um, I've never ever I've not even adjusted it. You can tune it a bit. I think you can just I think it's very, very minimal, but um, it's got six lugs and they're unlocking um, they're unlocking nuts so, uh, so you need um, you know you need a sort of a spanner set thing to uh, need to be able to get a socket set and hold the uh, the lockers while you while you tighten them up but I've never touched it because it's just you know I bought it it's perfect um, it's got these little legs on it which is great. So you can put the legs on a drum and or on a tabletop or anything. It's I think it's very well designed. It's like a weird product. I don't I just don't get I just don't get it in the Sabian range. You know, I don't understand where why why it fits in. Uh, you know, I just it's just a weird thing, you know, why Sabian would make a practice pad. But, you know, why not? And it's a very very good practice pad. Uh, like I say it's a little bit flattering, but but I've got these big Jeff Moore marching sticks that I use, and I think I've talked about those before. Um, and they're they're very very similar design to the Peter Erskine originals. They've got they've got a ball tip, um, and they're very very heavy. Um, and they're very thick, and uh, I spend pretty much all of my time practicing with these sticks now. Um, even if I'm on the kit and I'm doing some some sort of paddy snare drummy coordination -y stuff and as long as I'm not I mean, the only thing I don't really like doing with these is hitting the cymbals if the cymbals don't sound great because there's such a big tip it just makes your cymbals sound a bit gongy you know dong as opposed to ping um, but I've spent a lot of time with these sticks and as I've, and I've said this before you know I, 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 I you know we have a preference for sticks um, but I, I do agree with Jim Chapin's statement he makes on his video. If anyone's ever watched that video, it's a really great video about molar technique and stuff. Um, uh, and it's you know it's a great technique video. It's one of those really interesting videos. That's, you know, it's kind of um, you know you have an insight into the, you know like how how somebody does what they do. It's not a drumming video. I don't. I wouldn't say you know because it's not like a. It's not you know there's no kit playing. It's all pad stuff. Um, but he makes a statement on there. He says basically, I play with any sticks, you know, and uh, and I kind of know what he means. I think that it takes me. I mean, I can sit with these sticks and do some warming up and just just do you know, a few rudiments and bits and bobs. And after after about fifteen minutes, I can pretty much play everything I want with them. The only thing that that I can't achieve is the sound, you know, because it's just so hard to get the sound that I hear in my head out of these sticks. It's, they're just too far away, you know, the because of this, we've got a huge tip, basically. You know, but, so... So, yeah, but I've been spending a lot, a lot of time with the pad, um, which has been great. Um, but I get, yeah, more of that anyway. That's kind of the bulk of this episode. I'll get, I'll get back to that in a bit. But I just wanted to talk a little bit more uh, today just about the the idea behind kind of why, 
why I started doing this podcast, you know, and, where, and why at that time and stuff. And um, and it was something that kind of came to me as a... It was like one of those things where you just suddenly feel like it's the right time to do something. And, um, and, and part of it was because my father passed away in September last year. So that's September 2019. Um, and, you know, we... Me and my brother, we you know, we knew that he was um, that he was, you know, he had this terminal illness, leukemia thing, very very uh, terrible AML thing with a very poor prognosis, and uh, and it, and he basically lived for a year beyond uh, from when he was diagnosed, you know, and it was a really intense year, and that was kind of um, I've made reference to it in a few podcasts. It was a year where I really fell off. The playing because um, I was spending a lot of time, kind of between home, going to work in Leeds, and then going to the hospital. Uh, my dad spent a lot of time in that year, especially early on. First, um, when he first got ill, he was in for nearly two months, um, and then came out, and then was in was in every week basically for the rest of that year, you know. And then at the end, he went in. He got ill. The sort of mid-August um, and then came home and then went back in again and never came out again and uh, and it was just like a, it was one of those kind of times of year where I was uh, sorry times in life where you just like I was basically travelling in a triangle you know just kind of coming home uh, doing whatever sort of maybe eating maybe not you know but sometimes it was just that thing of you just eating on the road you know a bit like the gigging life really um, and I'm used to, you know, I'm used to driving. So the driving side of it is just kind of just felt like uh, it felt like I was gigging every evening, you know, because I got work, I'd drive to the hospital, um, and then I'd come home, and then I, and then when he was at home, I'd go and see him at home, and that was nowhere near where I live here. But it was in in a kind of, you know, it was a in a kind of triangle from work. You know, I grew up in a town called Glossop, which is just on the edge of Derbyshire in Thameside. Um, my whole my family's all from the the Salford side, Swinton and Little Hulton and Walkden and all that side of Manchester, and um, and also near where I live here. You know, my dad spent a lot of time in a place called Little Lever, which is near where I live now in Bolton, when he was a younger man. Um, and uh, you know, my grandparents used to shop in um, Bolton, not in Manchester, because they, they lived in Walkden, you know. So it was like a funny... I always had a funny connection with Bolton because now, now I live in Bolton. Um, but from when I was... I always remember when I was young and it was, uh, you know, even the Bolton Wanderers thing, there was a kind of... There was a kind of... Um, there was a bit of a connection with football. But, my, you know, my whole family was uh, are and were Man United supporters, you know, really, because of, of the sort of Salford connection. Anyway, I grew up in this place called Glossop and... My brother still lives there, and my dad uh, stayed there as well, you know. Um, and Glossop is um, its quite a nice place to drive to from Leeds if you're into driving, um, because you can basically pop down the M1 a bit, and then you get off and you can do go over the whole of basically the Woodhead thing. Um, and... Then it's a nice drive down into Glossop. Is it? There's a, there's a, you can sort of turn off the Woodhead Road, 
um, and come <clears throat> over. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the road of it. What it's called, actually. I think it's called Woodhead as well because it's a little bit confusing around there. There's these two kind of main um, ways in from the Woodhead side, but um, that's I would drive uh, down there regularly in the week as well. You know, so. I would sort of leave work and go uh, down to there and then, and then drive home from Glossop to here, which is a, a bit of a... You know, it's not very far, but it's, it's, it's a slightly unpleasant journey. It's always busy and stuff and, you know, and all that. So it was like a really, really full-on... Um, it's a full-on year, you know, as you can imagine. And then um, after he passed away, um, I was... Kind of off work for a bit, and uh, and then kind of got you know back into work, back into teaching, and sort of in the November time, um, I just had this thing about kind of trying to get back into playing again properly. I mean, I was playing all the time, I never stopped playing apart from this last year with COVID. You know, I've not done a gig since March, but. The thing of of uh, before you know before that I was playing all year, but not practicing and not really spending a huge amount of focused time, you know, um, with the drums on my own and and especially the technique side of things, you know. Um, so I was trying to find a way to kind of get into. Um, just like a direction or a purpose or something that was accountable, you know. Uh, There's this great thing that I remember somebody saying to me years ago, um, I won't say who he is, but he was trying to diet um, and he was he was really, really serious about this diet and it was a serious thing because he really needed to, uh, you know, he was really in need of losing quite a lot of weight, Um and he did this thing where he did this thing online, you know, where he did it, it was on, you know, one of the social media things. And uh, and part of the thing of doing it so publicly was to make it, um, to make it account, make himself accountable to it, you know, or to the public or to whoever was in, you know, whoever was in, you know, was involved in that thing. I mean, no one was holding a gun to his head and saying, you must diet, you must exercise. But he did it as a, as a, as a way of, um, of making himself accountable. And I was, I think I was looking for something like that, but, you know, beyond the thing of, you know, all the people that I teach at college and stuff who were, you know, really good students and, you know, and uh, the the teaching side of things felt fine to me. You know, and it's uh, it's something that I, I enjoy and it comes quite naturally. But it was just that personal practice thing of, of especially the technique. You know, of like oh, my technique. I listened to videos of myself during that year, and um, just even yeah, just different things that I recorded or things that was part of or, or stuff, my practice videos. And there's, there's a sort of lack of energy about all of it um, that I can hear in, in all of it. There's nothing that sounds like it's got a spring in its step, you know, in the playing. It's, it all sounds a bit laboured and like there's something not quite kind of on the money about it. And, um, and I think that 
you know, in, in it comes, you know, I think deep down, I think it, it's a, it's a sort of emotional or a spiritual thing. You know, there was definitely a, you know, a dip, a, a big dip in the kind of, you know, the emotional side of things and the kind of, you know, the purpose side of things and all that kind of stuff and the, the energy levels of. But it's, there's also this just that thing of not taking care of one's technique, you know, not being on the technique. And uh, so, yeah, one day, a year ago, uh, I was sat in my lounge and uh, the Podomatic, who I, the, that's the platform I use, I, I pay for this um, this platform and it's uh, it's good, it's a good deal, you know, they did me a nice deal on this uh, year thing. Um but at the time, I just was a free member of it. And they they just done this thing where they were like, you can record your podcast on the website. Just press record, you know. And I was... It, it just was one of those things where, oh, this is this is the thing I need to do, you know. This is the thing that that's going to get me back into practising, you know, thinking about what am I doing, you know, on my own personal journey on the drums. And also... Oh, actually, this could be an, a really, really useful archive, actually. Because part of the other thing was, you know, when somebody when somebody dies, everything that they know, everything that they've experienced, everything that they haven't shared uh, dies with them, doesn't it? You know, um, and I didn't want my kind of stuff the stuff that i am um, researched and thought about in, in in playing and in teaching and whatever to um i didn't want it to sort of disappear just with i mean you know there's a lot of students that i've taught um and you know they take on um concepts or ideas or listen to whatever it is you've got to say in in their own way and interpret in their own way and there's a certain degree of you know, as as a as the story goes from one to the next to the next, things get uh, slightly filtered or slightly abbreviated or slightly edited or changed or you know there's an, there's a somebody puts a, a personal inflection or an abbreviation that they feel is going to uh, communicate the original message, but actually it doesn't. You know, it, it, it actually abbreviates it and takes away some of the detail. And so I have, you know, I have every faith that anyone that I've ever taught who paid any attention and was was a good student and practiced has definitely taken on whatever ideas they needed to from me and and has done whatever they they have done with them. But 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 my stuff at source, I wanted a way to save it, you know. And uh, <clears throat> I was very very lucky. A few years ago, Dave Hassel gave me. Uh, I think I've, I've talked about this in one of the previous episodes. He gave me this kind of thoughts, teaching thoughts and practice. It's, it's a big book. It's got all of his stuff in it. And um, and Dave, uh, you know, put that together uh, in, in a personal circumstance for him that was really important. And he, and um, and he and he gave it to you know a number of his ex students. Uh, and I was you know very lucky to have got a copy of that. And I was very privileged, and I've got it here. And it's something that I do do look through and it's really really great little um well not little it's massive archive of stuff you know and it's um 
it's just that stream of it's just that stream of consciousness energy about it. You know, some of it, yeah, it's written down and there's real thought into it, but some of it has a stream of consciousness energy about it. And and that's what I wanted this podcast to be. You know, I wanted it to be somewhere where um, I would be thinking week to week about keeping notes and ideas about what I'm thinking about with the drums. And uh, and I keep them in my phone and it's in my little... Um, I use this thing called Evernote. I use the free one and it syncs to my Mac, you know. So uh, so if I write something on the Mac, it'll sync to, it'll sync to the phone. Um, I'd use the thing... I've got this thing called Notes, which is on Mac and it's on Google and stuff, but it doesn't... I can't get it to do anything with the phone, so it's a bit of a pain, really. So I'd, I'd use that, but I just use the Evernote thing because it's great. So I can come to the Mac, any, either Mac anytime, and, and anything that I've written in this little file that's about, you know, what... It's just a thought or something, you know, for the week. Um, and so I kind of started on this little journey, you know. So I made a couple of podcasts at first, um, and then uh, I didn't really like the sound quality... Uh, well, actually, if anybody listens to the pad, uh, the first episode of the pad, you'll the, the beginning bit is, um, I, I think it's quite amusing now. At the time, I was absolutely furious. Well, basically, the, the podomatic thing is you press this record button, it recorded the whole thing, and then when you stopped, you got this kind of picture of the waveform on the screen. Um, and what, and even if you were logged in, what it didn't do was it it, it didn't save the file in any way for you. You had to sort of... You know, you had to go, okay, blah, 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 do this, that, and the other. And I I don't know what I did. I just stopped pressing, stopped record, and then um, clicked something on the screen that I thought was, you know, a passive thing, and the thing was gone. And I'd done this episode about the pad, and I was really pleased with it. Um, I mean, I, I did script it a bit and I, I wrote some bullets points I was like super organised and then I did this really good episode you know and it was gone and I was so like oh this is like so and and you know normally uh, I would it would be things like that <laughs> I normally give up on stuff if I have those kind of setbacks and I was really like determined to come back the day after and redo the episode, you know, and use all the same notes and try and, you know, deliver the same thing. And the episode that's on is, is a good episode. The one that I recorded was better because it had that kind of initial energy. It was just the, the, the improvisational energy with, with this, with the sort of the loose script. But um, the the episode that's on, that's actually broadcast, is good, but it's just a little bit, it's, it feels like I'm sort of just going a little bit over ground I've already been over um, and that's only for me because anyone that's listened to it obviously you know it's never heard it before so it's a completely stupid thing to think like that but it's that thing you know in these like comedians that you watch and they're amazing at delivering those same joke to a different audience every night you know because they believe that something's funny and the lesson I kind of learned about about that episode and about messing it up and then kind of going back and, and re-recording it was um, that I actually, did, you know, I believed what I was saying. So I needed to, you know, have a different attitude um, towards just re-delivering the same material that I'd lost, you know. It was like, well, 
you're just saying what you believe, aren't you? So if you can say it a hundred times, it's you know it should mean as much the hundredth time as it does the first time, you know. So anyway, yeah. So I got that. Yeah, I've re-recorded that. And there's a little comedy introduction, a slightly comedy introduction about it, about you know about sort of um, this thing of everything's an opportunity. And I was listening to it today because I was just going back, kind of over, just thinking what we're going to, you know, what we're going to talk about in retrospect of this pad, the pad part two. And I was listening to the beginning of it a little bit again today, um, and I was, I was, it was really surprising to myself when I said this line about, you know, uh, it's an opportunity. Everything's an opportunity in in the face of disaster or something. Yeah, I can't remember exactly what I said, but you know that that was that's kind of not like me, you know. And it must have been at the time. There's the frame of mind that I was in, you know. Um, this thing had happened, you know, in the family, and it was um, still very, very kind of you know raw and new, and um, still in the sort of grieving process, uh, which you know partially still am now, but. Um, but it was, there's definitely, I must have really been thinking in a slightly different way than I would have been, you know, 12 months before, you know. Um, so the whole thing of doing it, yeah, it's been a really positive, um, it's been a really positive vibe for me. And the challenge has been like making sure that if I get ideas or notes, he's writing these things down to have just these little thoughts to go to come back to you know um but this sort of year anniversary episode apart from talking about this story of the kind of background as to as to why the podcast came to be um and actually it's funny because i am i am doing a um uh, a thing at, at work at college uh a present no it's not a presentation but i was sort of doing a guest lecture spot for one of the uh, for one of these modules which is about reflective practice and uh and the kind of intro part of it is basically what i'm talking about now is about why i've done the podcast it's, it's a bit more detail about the archive side of it and stuff and reflecting on um you know my own sort of journey um and talking about the difference between reflection and reflexive, sort of reflexive practice and reflective practice and stuff like that. So, anyway, it's all a bit whatever, but I'm not going to go on about that now. But, um, but yeah, it's kind of apt that I'm sort of about to do this thing as at college as well because I got I got asked to do this, this guest spot as a sort of reflective practice thing, and I thought, well, what can I talk about that I've been doing in the last year or so with COVID? You know, it's like, ugh. Not been gigging. I have been practicing a lot more than I've ever practiced in my life. I think. I think that's a pretty kind of um, that's a true statement. Um, and the way I've been practicing has been more, um, much more honest. You know, um, just finding really, really finding using my own sort of solutions that I help other people with uh, to 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 get into stuff quicker, you know, and having a bit more patience with those systems, you know. Um I always hope that all my students have far more patience than I do, you know. Um but uh, and I think they do. But I've I've definitely learned more of a sense of patience and, and there's you know there's that thing in the moment that we're still in this situation. Ugh, lockdown and all that nonsense. 
um, which is a serious thing and it's very necessary, but it's, you know, it's a real drag. Um, so again, it's like, I mean, it's December nearly. Uh, well, it's, no, it's middle, well, middle of November, December um, soon. And then it'll be Christmas. Um, and then we're into New Year, you know, 2021. And hopefully the new year brings um, brings some more hope and things, you know, things getting back to normal um, by the spring, which I think that's um, kind of everyone's got their eye on that now, you know. Um, and that that's that's my hope. I always see the winter time as a bit of a you get you you, you hunker down, don't you? you? Bury down into you whatever, and you get on with your stuff, and you know, there's always a there's always the the plague of the weather you know, disrupting things anyway, you know, even though the weather the last few couple of years in, in the UK has been very mild in the winter, the rain's been horrendous, but there's, there's not been much snow. There's very little snow last year. Um, and again, it's been incredibly wet here. Oh, unbelievable amounts of water, just pff, endless, endless water. So, you know, I just kind of think, well, in my head, I can still just write off the rest of this year in relation to playing and focus and be 100% in the, the mindset of practicing, you know. Because um, if anybody's not listened to the Stuart McCallum episode, previous episode, the interview I did with him, he said a great thing really early on in our conversation about the sort of the beating heart of what we do, you know. And... Um, and I, I, it was great the way he put it. And, and I'd sort of forgotten a little bit about that, even though I've been immersed in it and doing a lot of it. Sometimes it's just, you know, nice when somebody says or reminds you about something in a certain way that's succinct and is very easy to remind yourself of, you know, and to, and to be really connected to what the sentiment of it is, you know. Um, <clears throat> it's very easy to say things, but if you don't feel anything about them, you know then um, it doesn't really resonate with you, does it? You don't want to, you don't want to act upon it, you know. But, uh, but yes, but there's, anyway, so that's a bit of, you know, a bit of the history of that. And then it was this thing of I was going to come back to the pad. And it wasn't some big, like, oh, you know, wow, the pad, I've been doing all these different things. It was just more of a, again, just a reflection upon upon how I've been really enjoying my time at the pad, you know. And about sort of, like today I was practising this exercise that um, that a guy called Steve Keogh, great drummer, um, Irish drummer who lives over in uh, Barcelona, I think, or Valencia, in Barcelona. Or is it Valencia? I always get them mixed up. He's like this, uh, George Rossi, Holly Rossi and Steve. I always get them mixed up. One lives in Valencia and one lives in Barcelona. Um, anyway, Steve gave me this exercise ages and ages and ages ago. And I was cleaning up, um, sorting out some of my drum books last week. I was having a bit of a tidy up in the drum shed. I did a lot of rewiring, put a new light in. Well, well, it was the old light, but I, I wired it into the, the actual light switch as opposed to the plug socket, because I couldn't get to this plug socket. Uh, anyway, it's all very boring. But I was moving a load of stuff around on the shelves because I, I sorted all my shelves out. I bought another drum kit, which is a bit of a disaster. Well, it's great, but it's just I shouldn't have bought it, really. But I've got another drum kit now. 
So the, the, it's absolutely full of drums in here. This, and so I needed to sort out some of the shelves. So I moved some stuff to the loft in the house, got all my shelves sorted out, and then I found a new spot for all my drum books, which was really great actually. So they're over, they're actually now in the drum next to the drum kit where I teach and everything. They're not in here where the computer is. Because um, there's often like running out of it when I'm teaching and I'm going to look at a book quickly and don't have it to hand. And one of my students is saying, Oh, yeah, I'm doing something in syncopation or I'm doing something in stick control. Oh, yeah, just go and grab the book. You know, they're always in here. So now I've got them in front of the kit, which is great. Um, but I was flicking through some of these books and this piece of manuscript paper floated out, you know, like a little, like a leaf, like an autumn leaf, you know. But it had that kind of, kind of vibe about it. It was like, Ah. What's on that a little nugget? And it was beautiful. It had um, it had this exercise that Steve gave me ages and ages ago, and I couldn't remember what the exercise was. I had this kind of rough idea in my head because I hadn't really understood it properly when he told me, but I did write it down. So I did that thing of like, I'm not going to remember this. So I need to write it down so that I'll have some reference to remember it, and then I'll be able to practice it properly. And it's beautiful, following my own system. Remember. And then, sorry, understand and then remember, you know. So it's that thing of if you don't understand something, you're never going to practice it properly. If you understand it, then you're going to, and you can remember it, and you're going to be able to work on your own and be self sufficient. Anyway, I wrote this thing down and it, fl it fell out of this drum book, and then it had another piece of manuscript paper connected to it um, that had nothing on it. And it's beautiful because I was doing another exercise this week and I wrote that, I used that little bit of manuscript paper, which is here, to write that exercise on it. Um, anyway, but I spent today um, practicing the exercise. I'm not going to do the exercise now, but just the thing of the exercise is a, is a kit exercise. Um, but because I've got this setup here where I've got this bass drum pedal down on the floor and I've got my pad and then I've got just got my foot on the floor for my left foot. I just spent the day getting into um, the exercise actually on the pad. And I had this like amazing little revelation about another exercise which is linked to it. And and I wrote it out in a completely different way. And it like blew my mind because it's like, oh, oh yeah, it's that. If I think of it in this time signature then this is what that pattern is. And if I think about it in this time signature, it's the pattern that I, you know, that I know in that time signature. But again, it's back to this thing of, I always talk about when people are trying to get into coordination stuff, about looking at things in two or three or four even different ways. The fourth way is a little bit more abstract, but the, th the three common ways, one way is the way it is, just, you know, it is a pattern, one pattern against another pattern. Some people can get straight into it and get on with practicing it. In that way, uh, I'm not like that. I, I need to look at things at a different angle. So the, the most common way I, I do things is, is I look at them as, as uh, what I call a, a sticking pattern. You know, if you're playing something with your right hand and with your left hand against each other, those things will have rhythmical values and will, will have a sticking attached to them in relation to each other. Some things will be together and some things won't be together, you know. So you can work out lots of coordinational things using that method, you know. Uh, the third method is about treating the together strokes slightly differently, which is something I use a lot in teaching, which can be helpful, again, because it links to rudiments. Uh, I don't want to go too much into that now. Uh, and then the fourth way is this way today, which is 
when you when you write something out in a in a different way and it can sometimes just make you see you know your way into it a bit quicker the thing it can do is it can completely like mess you up because you can suddenly stop hearing that thing as it was and start hearing it in a completely different way which i kind of had a little bit today um because i was practicing this swing thing but i would written it out in three four into the four four and um blah 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 um it's kind of interesting uh, just interesting how they the two things link to each other um anyway that's kind of that's that kind of tangent but um but it was nice to not be distracted by the kit you know and to be able to just you sit here and because this because this sonar uh, sorry how do we say that sonar sabian pad the kits are sonar the pad is sabian the pad has this rim so you can do you know cross stick and you can also hit the rim So you can practice things with two different sounds very, very easily, like you, you know, like you would do if you're on the kit playing a hi-hat and a snare or something. And then I've got this bass drum pedal under the desk, which I, um, which I use all the time, which has been great for, again, for practicing, you know, flat-footed and for practicing certain patterns and things. Um, but it, yeah, it's been, it was, it was nice to be away from the kit and practice these exercises. Um, but a lot of the things that I've been doing with the pad have been um, sort of learning some snare drum pieces again and getting back into, you know, playing little... Uh, I mean, like the Charlie Wilcox and things, I always go back to them because I always find them... Um, I always find that I never practised them as, as as good as they could be played, you know. Um, so one I've been looking at recently because a student of mine has been looking at it is this thing called Rhythmania, you know, which is very early on in the book. But I was being like really meticulous about some of the accents and just being more strict than I'd ever been about about this, the the sort of level of the accents and the level of the kind of normal strokes. And and again, I realised that. You know, I'd I'd practiced this thing previously, years and years and years ago, much louder. Um, and now, the way that I play now, and the kind of the, the the sound that I like to make on the on the snare drum, particularly, or just on the kit in general, um, is that in order to play that piece in the way that I want to hear it, I've actually, you know, set the kind of bar quite a lot higher. So this. This thing about I've talked about before about the, when you know in the foundations thing when you when you get a thing together and you set you set the new standard you know for it when you I think if you if you've been playing a while if you listen to this and you've been playing a while and you go back to some stuff that you have practiced in the past and go back to it and reevaluate your knowledge now and about how you approach what you do now to that and and, and say yeah I, I could do I could I could go back to studying that again and actually have a completely different vibe with it you know 
Um, not everything. Some things are, they're done, aren't they? You know, when they're done, they're done. Or in the great words of Eric Harland, you know, you don't want to sort of over-practice something because you end up beating it into the ground, as he describes it, which is very true. Um, and the only way to avoid <laughs> doing that is to is to nuance, you know, is to find things in it that, that actually, oh, maybe that's not quite how, even how it was supposed to be played in the first place, you know. I mean, I, as I grow older and, um, you know, next week, no, it's this week. Oh, yeah, this Thursday. Crikey. This Thursday is my half century. Ugh. Terrifying. I'm 50 on Thursday. And I was born 26th November 1970 on a Thursday. So, um, yeah, 50 years. Um, but as I get older, I realise um, how little I knew about something that I first practised, you know. And sometimes I forget when I'm teaching about where my head is. Um, that, you know, it's, it's, it's the experience... When you're teaching with experience, what you're what you're giving away and helping is a, is is a kind of shortcut in a way, uh, and the shortcut thing is not just, um, you know, in some things the shortcuts are like the the quick way of understanding something, you know, that can be the shortcut, but also the shortcut can be somebody who's practiced something. And come back to something, say eight diff- eight times, and practiced it eight different ways. And the reason why is because each time they came back to it, they'd missed an element of the first and the second and the third and the fourth time. And when they came back to it for the eighth time, they were like, "Oh yeah, this is complete now. This is this is what this is how I'm supposed to have practiced it when I first started practicing it. Now I'm actually practicing it properly, you know." But it's all fine because all that process from, you know, version A to version 8 or A to H or whatever you want to think about it, it's all just what we do. It's just the process of practising. Um, it's uh, the beating heart of it, you know, the the thing that, the, the journey that we're on with our, with our craft, you know, with our art. Um, uh, and it's not the playing it's not the playing side of it. It's just the thing of nurturing, crafting, taking care of, developing, analysing, understanding, tweaking, nuance, all those different things. But what you want to share with your student or whoever, you know, somebody comes to you for lessons or whatever, because uh, they've heard you play and they're like, oh, this person's interesting, they've got something down and they seem to know what they're talking about. What you're trying to communicate is version H, isn't it? You know, uh, at some point it'll have been version F and it'll have been version C. You know, it's um, that's going on all the time. And what you what I forget sometimes is, you know, um, is again in that thing of, of the translation of something, not lost in translation, but just that thing of information from one to another. The fundamentals understood is remembered and understood and remembered and practised. Um, but the level of it, the level of detail of it is only version two, you know, or maybe even version one. Um, and I think about when I had Dave, when I went to Dave and Dave 
got me into practicing coordination, which I just didn't want to practice because it was hard work, you know. It was all very painful. It was like, oh, this stuff sucks, you know. God, I can't play. And it was such a pathetic way of viewing it. I didn't really understand what practice was then. And, um, you know, this. I, I, last week I had, a, I had a conversation with an old friend of mine um, and we were laughing about how much of a pair of blaggers we were when we were younger, you know. And we were both able to kind of blag our way through lessons um, because we had, you know, our, we had we were really good readers, um, and we were good, you know, we're good natural musicians. You know, uh, I mean, he's you know he's an exceptionally uh, gifted human being in, in lots of different ways, you know, musically and in, in other ways as well. But um, we were just laughing about, like I was always found out with the tune percussion because I wasn't interested in tune percussion and I wasn't very good at it. Um, if I'd been interested in it, I'd have probably been good at it. You know, I, I'm a bit, I'm terrible me for, if I'm not interested in something, I just won't, you know, I won't give it the time of day. If I am interested, I'll give it everything, you know, and, um, you know, do my best to understand as best as possible. And if I've got some natural kind of affinity or talent for something, I you know, tend to be quite good at it, which is why the only thing I'm really any good at is playing the drums, you know. So, um, but there was, there was a lot of blagging, going on a lot of resting on your laurels they call it don't they you know you you know resting on that kind of natural talent to kind of get away with and when I went to Dave I was you know I've been playing the drums for a few years and I was good I had good technique um and I was listening to you know some some really interesting some good players and I had a vibe you know but Dave really showed me the value of um of practicing these coordination exercises and they were, i just found it all very very difficult because it was really really um you know i wasn't ready emotionally for that the, the journey of practicing stuff not playing stuff but practicing stuff and and sounding like a beginner every time I started something new, you know. Um, and like now, I'm that's like fills me with joy practising something that I literally can't do, you know. And don't have any of the sort of front or, or defensiveness like I used to have when I was younger, you know. Like I never, like I've talked about this before, didn't like to practise... Uh, in rehearsals didn't like to practice things in front of people wanted to sort of go away and work it out on my own you know whereas other people in, when I used to rehearse with them wanted to play things together and you know I was really wasn't very good at that because I didn't want to look weak and it was pathetic you know all these stupid sort of things that uh, one can go through um, whereas now it's very different you know I would sit down now and practice something really really simple with anybody you know with a student with people i'm playing with in a band you know with some heavyweight musician or whatever no absolutely no problem with that at all you know um we can't play everything this is the thing we forget you know and so if we are able to get over ourselves and, and practice stuff that's um you know what we see is simple or whatever then yeah, you know that that that's a very powerful thing, I think, and it's certainly this last 
eight months, I've definitely felt um, um, really uh, empowered by that. You know, it's been a great, it's been a great, uh, you know, place of um, of kind of uh, comfort, you know, and purpose. Um, those two things are very important at the moment, I think, to a lot of people. Um, I think, you know, if you can just keep focused on, like, finding good things to practice and having that, just saying it's an enforced time to do it. And how good am I going to sound if I spend some time doing this, you know? It's a good exercise. I'm practising it properly. And I believe those two things are good for your playing, regardless. You know, regardless of whatever music you play, it doesn't matter if you're a thrash metal drummer or, you know, or a you know, drummer in a, in a dance band or you're just a funk drummer or something. Any exercise that's a good exercise that you understand properly and you practice correctly is going to be good for your playing, you know. It's going to be good for you. It's going to give you your brain and your muscle memory and everything more relaxed cognitive vibe, I think, you know. Um, so, yeah, anyway, so it's, yeah, the pad thing has been, it's been really, really, um, it's been great. Um, and I definitely feel like back now, technically, Um like uh, it's 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 funny how far away from it I'd got, how I'd fallen off it, um, and I you know I've talked about this a lot in the last eighteen months. But because um, even in the year, um, even before my dad got ill, it, I was very very busy and there's a lot of things going on. And I've been practicing you know on and off, but just kind of coasting along a little bit. And then that happened, and it was all consuming and very distracting. You know, there was a lot. Of, it was I had to put a lot of time into traveling and doing this thing, and it was something that um, you know really wanted to do, and and it, you know just you know, obvious stuff. Um, and never at any time was I was I thinking, oh, you know, I'm missing practicing or whatever. I just wasn't interested. You know, it was just not important at all. Um, and then. There's got to be, you know, there comes a time again, I think, for everybody when you go through something like that where you reconnect, you know, however it is. Um, and, uh, the, yeah, this was the way I reconnected. That's really what it was, you know. And and then the funny thing of the COVID thing happening, you know, and, uh, and then... Um, no gigs, <clears throat> having to spend, you know, vast amounts of time at home. It was that thing of, this is an opportunity again, you know. This is an opportunity to um, to to sort some serious things out. And, um, and yeah, and, and the, sit, the height, sit, how high I sit and the bass drum thing, is, that's been the big one for me, really, you know. Um, but also, you know, getting really, really back into the pad again um, as well and coordination, you know, and practising, bringing the coordination to the pad more than I, than I would have done in the past. I mean, I think I think I was talking in the episode about the pad, about that. And, I, I, you know, the, 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 the pad that I bought when I was 12, it's got this little circle where it used to be a label and I sort of think of that as a ride symbol and, 
and then the main part of the pack it's a raised rubber pad thing you put on a snare drum um you know that's the snare and then you know you can play with your feet on the floor so you know i've always had this thing where i've had this sort of virtual drum kit thing connected to the pad um but yeah just and some of the other pads that i use which um i've not got out and i was going to get them out actually but basically there's there's two other types of pad that i that i tend to use uh, and this is not including the drumometer thing, by the way. Now, the drumometer, as you know, if you listen to that episode, uh, it's, got, it's, an ep it's an episode about the metronome drumometer. I think it's uh, called Time Metronome Drumometer or something. The drumometer is a Remo practice pad. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, I am affiliated with Evans, but uh, not with Remo in any way. But the, the only reason why I'm saying that is because um, Boo McPhee, who makes them, um, he puts the sensor inside one of those those kind of tunable Remo pads. And so uh, when you buy the kit, it's got it's got the foot pedal, foot switch thing, sorry, that can, you can reset it, click, click, and it resets the drumometer. You've got drumometer itself, you have a pad and, a, and, a, and it's got a lead, a jack-to-jack -jack lead. So it's all part of one kit. Um... So that pad, I only ever use that pad when I use the drumometer. So I kind of, I'd take that out of the equation, really. Um, I've not used the drumometer for a few years. It's not been something that has, has interested me as much in the last four or five years as, as it did previously. Um, uh, I should get back into it again because I, I like doing the warm-up thing with the numbers. Because, um, you know, I have this, this warm-up thing, it's this... this um, Swiss, uh, sorry, uh, Flam Accent um, Excise. Etc. Etc. Um, so, a quick description of that is: it, it's it's flam accents, and then you uh, do pairs of flams in groups of two, and you move them through the triplet. You can work it out by listening to it. Then the slightly dodgy ones were finger controlled, so you do um, a bar of flam accents, and then a single bar of right hand finger control, and then a, and then a bar of um, it, it alternates to the left hand starting the bar of flam accents and you do a left I do left thumb for a bar da, 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 da. just this you know that's all with the right and that's now and that's flips that flips to the left side and then and then the left thumb and then back to the two lots of those and then we get to the rolls Rolls alternate with alternating flams, and the rolls are um, you do a bar of flam accents, bar rolls, and then you do the five strokes with the one on the downbeat, and then you do the middle middle accent one middle, 
middle triplet accent. And then you do the one uh, on the last. And then you do some doubles all the way through. Um, and then a bar of doubles, and then a bang, a bar of flams, which is swung doubles. And um, and so basically the whole thing deals with, for me, deals with a, you know, a huge part of getting your kind of dexterity warmed up. And the great thing about doing it with on the drumometer, um, just to, you know, not to repeat what I've said already on that episode, but the drumometer counts your hits. And so if I'm doing good open flams, then for every flam accent, there's four strikes, yeah? Of course, because the flam is two strikes. If they're two, the drum motor will just count a single hit. But if they're good open flams, all of those flams will be counted as two strokes. So all the doubles will be two strokes, but all the flams will be two strokes. So when you're doing the, the, the two flams together and two singles, you know, it's counting six strokes, not four strokes. Um, and so when I'm doing the 50, and because the drum moment only goes to 900 seconds, 15 minutes, when you do a run of 900 seconds, um, I'm aiming to get 10,000 hits um, into 900 seconds, basically because it's, I know that I've done enough First of all, I've played enough doubles and I've kept them open enough to be counted. Do you see what I'm saying? That's why that 10,000 number is really useful. So if I'm playing one day and I'm struggling and I'm into like, I'm at, you know, I'm at like ugh, 30, 12 minutes and I've done like five and a half thousand or 6,000, I know that I'm like nowhere, you know. Um, and then other times where I'm right, right up there, I'm into the sort of 13th, 14th minute and I'm, I'm in the 9,000 bracket. I know that I've been really pushing it, you know. And a lot of people forget the drumometer is useful for that um, as, a, as a way of understanding, you know, how intense what you've been doing is, you know. These are the ways you can feel it, obviously, or you just do it by kind of by uh, practicing a specific number of things. But I, the thing I like about the drumometer is you know that your flams and your doubles are open enough to all be counted, you know. And I tend to do that thing between 164 and 172, you know, they're my warm-up speeds. Um, so if I've been playing, like if I've been on the pad two or three times a day every day, I can come to that thing at 168 or 172 as a warm-up, you know. If I miss a day on the pad, which you should... Um, I think you should always have a day off things to help rest the muscles and build strength as a friend of mine last week was saying to me and that's very true um was reminding me of that um but yeah if if i come if i have a day off the day off after the day off i always come back at 164 you know but i've been tending to do that thing without the drumometer so i might you know get that get that set up again but anyway the other pads that's what i was actually telling you about it's not very interesting but so there's two other kind of pads that i use Sorry, I was I had to pause then because I thought I was actually I was just completely disorganised. No, there was no two ways about it. So disorganised that the so the I've got these things called um, they're like strap-on pads. Sounds all a bit weird, doesn't it? A bit kinky. 
Sorry about that, anybody that's listening. It's a bit embarrassing. But basically, they they strap on around your thigh. This is like not sounding any better, is it, as you say it? Um, so you can basically, you know, you just can have a pad just on your leg. And so you can sit anywhere and just... And I've got two of them, so you can have one on each leg. This all sounds awful. Anyway, and we're going to move on from the strap-on. Well, the thing is, uh, I thought I had them in my... I've got a like a bag thing which has got loads of stuff in it um loads of gigging stuff like different sticks and uh little clamps and stuff and i thought they were in there and they're not they must be in the loft in my little box which has got all my my drumstick archive box where i keep all my sticks that i don't use very much like hot rods and stuff and beaters and things that i only use for certain gigs they, they stay they live in the loft and i think my pad the, the strap-on pads are in there anyway we're moving on from the strap-on pads i'm going to say that again the next one i use a lot which is this one which you probably can't hear now this is a gel pad and uh i can't play it because i've got it on this little attachment uh, i was really proud of that um, that basically goes on a cymbal arm uh and it's great but I can't undo it because it's been put on with a ratchet. Um, but the gel pad, the gel pads are brilliant because they don't rebound, you know. So basically, they... Oh, I always forget how much I really like playing on these things. You have to pull, you have to pull all of the energy out of the pad, you know. Because there's no, there's basically next to no, there is a little bit of rebound. People say they have no rebound. They do have rebound. Um, pretty much everything has rebound if you allow the stick its time and space to do what it wants. Or if you sort of just nurture it into a little, just give it a little bit of energy. Um, anyway, the gel pads are great. The one I use, I um, can't remember what it's called. Is there a name on here? Um, it was another thing off um, when I used to be get my stuff off Barry Race, Istanbul. Um, Artom Corporation, made in the USA. Um, I don't know what it's called. Has it got a brand? No. No, nothing. But it's this kind of gel stuff. It looks like moon gel, basically, without the stickiness. Um, and it's great. It's a little. It's a. It's the small one. I know a lot of people use the bigger ones that are like a normal kind of practice pad side. This is a little. This is a tiny one. And I put this on a cymbal stand, and I can have it uh, on a clamp coming off anything. You know, off uh, my exercise bike, or off a mic stand, or off another snare stand. Use it as a ride cymbal, or just use it as another pad to play to that's got no rebound. So, uh, and you can also, if I remember rightly, you can pull the actual. This is the, uh, oh, here you go, it's got the name underneath it. It's called an Artom Moon Gel Workout Pad. Yes. You can take it out of its little housing. Forgot about that. There you go. So here's, I can just have it on, um, oh yeah, flams, it's a nightmare. Sorry, the thing that's vibrating is my Remo pad, my 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 uh, my drawometer pad. Wow, I always forget how loud it is. Plastic's really starting to deteriorate on this. It used to be bright red, and it's now this weird 
It's like, I don't know what colour it is. It's not a colour that I actually know. Um, but it's all... Like it's... Uh, like I rim shot it a lot and the uh, and the the rims are really... The plastic's starting to deteriorate. It's quite strange. But um, I put a load of uh, nylon um, washer things underneath where they tune because make it a little bit more tunable uh, but it still works fine and it's got a rubber backing thing so you can put it on a tabletop but it's a noisy old it's a noisy thing whereas this 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 gel pad thing I think I'm gonna I'm gonna keep this out for a while but it's a it's a weird thing you take it out and it's just this plastic bag full of this moon gel stuff basically um, and that's how they make it and then you know very very dense stuff it's heavy dense it's just yeah interesting it's an interesting product but they're the other pads that i've basically used over the over the years i used to do a lot on this gel pad um and i used to use it as a, as a secondary pad for practicing on um but uh and you have it, I used to, yeah, like I say, on a cymbal arm, but um, but you can, you know, it's. I mean, if I have it on the, on, I've got it on top of the Quiet Tone, the Sabian pad. You can, it's, it does give you a little bit of, gives you a little bit more rebound than you'd want, really. But you can, you know, put it on tabletop or, you know, on your leg. It's a bit of a nightmare on that because it flaps about a bit. I like the strap-on pads. Anyway, um, so, yeah, that's the pad thing. So, you know, everyone's got their favourite pads, haven't they? There's lots of stuff online. You see all these companies giving these drummers these pads. They all make a big deal out of them. But the bottom line at the end of the day is you've got to remember when you're transferring whatever you're doing to the kit is that the nightmare of the drum kit is the the ever-changing surfaces in relation to rebound. Across the landscape of the instrument, of course, the landscape is wide and ever-changing. Undulating, as they say. Um, but the rebound surfaces are also ever-changing. So you've got to remember that. So that's why it's quite nice, I find, to, to, to practice on two or three different types of pad. Um, I think, I, yeah, I think as I've kind of, you know, been messing around with this, just this gel pad last five minutes, I think I'm going I'm to do a little bit more on this gel pad um, just to kind of... Um, it's so much closer to a floor tom, you know, especially if you're trying to play doubles. Like one of my recent um i always have these things where i sit you know sit down occasionally and think about little kind of goals you know um and one of them is to increase the volume of my doubles you know so that um when i'm playing a passage of double strokes the volume doesn't drop away um and it's something that it requires a certain, you know, kind of technique and input and output to attain that. And I'm not always paying 100% attention to that when I'm playing. 
so it's something I'm going to practice, for instance. And the gel pad is really, really good for that kind of that kind of practice. Because you know, as 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 um, as Jojo Mayer demonstrates, you know, in the, in the secret um, whatever it's called, secret weapons or something for the what thing is it modern what modern secrets for the for the Modern weapons for the secret drummer or secret weapons for the modern drummer. I think it's that, isn't it? I don't know. Um, some interesting title. Anyway, on his video, as he as he beautifully demonstrates when he plays on the pizza and the piece of paper and on the pad, these things should all be in the hands. You know, the the tricky thing is controlling it. You know. It, it can be, if you practice a lot on a gel pad, you can find it quite hard to control on the drums, especially if you want to play quietly. You find him playing loud all day long, easy peasy, but as soon as everybody's like, oh, can you just like, can we just play, bring the sound, the whole sound level down by a, like a whole, like one whole notch. So everything that you're playing fortissimo, mezzo forte, <clears throat> you know, so that's, that's forte, fortissimo forte, mezzo forte, oh, it's two levels down. I want everything down by two levels, you know. You suddenly find that all that work you've done on the gel pad, because um, you've got all this, all this kind of input you can get in there, is 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 harder. So sometimes you want to be you want to be going into something that's super bouncy and, re and and controlling the consequence of that, which is why I like my rubber pad compared to the Sabian um, this quiet tone pad this is so bouncy it's so forgiving and easy to, to kind of play in a way so I end up having to really control how I'm playing things and then if I've got this gel pad it's like you know playing really 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 quietly Whoa. it's um can see why people give up on doing that and just try and play louder on the gel pad because it's easier <laughs> anyway i've witted on enough about uh, the old pad so that's kind of it really so uh, thanks for listening to this little retrospective nostalgic episode i suppose looking back at the last year but um yeah, it's been uh, it's been an interesting year in relation to the you know getting this archive together and stuff and um, and I'm not giving it up by the way. This isn't the last episode or anything. It's making it sound like it's over. Um, it's far from over, but it's just yeah, it's nice to have um, done a year. There was no interesting number in relation to the year. Um, and again, the episodes it's been a little bit random the last three months or so getting them out. It's just because um, me being a bit disorganised and also work being very busy. So you know, between the two things, uh, I've sort of given up on the weekly um, thing at the moment. Um, but it will get back to that, I'm sure. Um, Sunday nights was always my favourite night. I managed to get this out and done on a Sunday, which is nice. So. Um, but yeah have a great week anyway um, thanks for listening if you have been and um, I'll speak to you soon so take care and bye for now <laughs>